from the Hindu Parenting Podcast. In the last two episodes, we talked to teenagers and to adults in their 20s about the kind of pressures they face. In this episode, we discuss the prevalence of subliminal messaging aimed at the youngest and most vulnerable segment, the preteen child. We have a civilizational studies researcher and a parent, Shubhadeep Ji, who will help us identify some of the sources of harmful messaging and analyze the effects of the constant bombardment on young kids. It is also a timely reminder to Hindu parents that we need to be aware, vigilant and mindful. Namaste Shubhadeep Ji and welcome to the podcast. Uh, Namaste Rekha Ji and Shalini. Uh, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Uh, it's really wonderful to see your focus uh, on not, not just the challenges of uh, raising children, uh, but also on the importance of instilling Indian civilizational values and the Hindu ethos in that process. Uh, because only when we discuss uh, these things openly and with a you know, clear sight and vision uh, can we make a real difference. So I'm delighted to be here and uh, discuss parenting with the both of you. It's great. Uh, we are also very happy to have you with us. Uh, Shubhadeep ji, as the father of a 10-year-old son, what do you see as the major challenges of raising a child today? Uh, thank you for that question. And I'm sure that this is uh, probably the million-dollar question that all uh, parents in my situation are asking. So I think uh, uh, one of the major challenges of uh, uh, raising a child today is you know, striking a balance. Uh, between providing a proper environment on one hand and then also preparing them for a increasingly complex world. So when you add technology, especially mobile phones to this mix and try to see its impact, uh, it basically presents both opportunities as well as challenges. Uh, for example, see on the one hand, mobile phones offers, uh, they offer a vast access to knowledge and communication. Say if children today are way more knowledgeable than what we were in their age, that is something we can't really deny. So they basically use mobile phones as like an extension of themselves. You see, tuck, 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 and they'll get some information. Like I'll give you one good. very small example. Uh, uh, see, I still use Google search on my laptop. Uh, but when my son searches for something, he'll just, die. He'll just say, uh, uh, find me something, or he'll talk to Alexa directly and get some answers. Now see, this is a generational shift in how we search for information. So in this way, children Absolutely. are way more advanced than what we were. But that is a positive side. On the negative side, it's basically challenges like, you know, how to manage screen time. Children easily tend to get distracted by so many things they see on screen, whether it's mobile or even on, on television for that matter, on the smart TV. There's so many things that they're seeing. And it's basically how to, you know, instill responsibility. That sense, because... Unlike our times, I'm sure all parents have said this throughout generations, every generation feels that the next generation is getting way more you know, access to resources than what they had. So how to limit uh, this access, or not limit, how to basically ensure that this access is used responsibly. I think that is one of the major challenges that uh, uh, we are facing right now. And the more uh, disturbing part is the subliminal me messaging uh, through uh, shows, or games or you know content on uh, uh, social media instagram because they can and do have a very deep impact on children because young minds they are very very impressionable and these messages 
they have the ability to you know shape their beliefs behaviors values uh, children will end up you know stereoty- internalizing stereotypes uh, then the, the, then there's a thing of you know this uh, uh, unrealistic standards whether it's beauty standards or something or mm-hmm. taking the latest fads they they think okay it's it's probably the norm so like recently uh, i was uh, watching one program uh, where somebody uh, uh, was saying that okay i'm you know feeling kind of bloated so the child said why don't you go for a keto diet you know so they've basically what uh, internalized all these things keto diet and things like that so think uh, huh? <laughs> yeah yeah they have i mean see th- this is this is reality so we have to deal with this reality and i think that is uh, uh, one of the challenges that uh, we are facing because the list is endless so mm, how do we go about that how do we engage with them it's a, it's a evolving area and and we yeah. have to do some we have to work on this in a very systematic way and in a way which does not antagonize them at the same time it should ensure that uh, we are trying to you know ensuring that this balance and uh, overall well-being of everybody involved we are, we are just so thankful that you brought up all these points today because in the very first podcast we had identified the main problem today as direct access to our children i mean you have this gadget right in the palm of your you know preteen child literally and uh, the outside world can reach them directly bypassing you and that is that is definitely a cause for worry for every parent so and um, added to that the subliminal messaging so these two points are um, something that we should be aware about and uh, uh, i mean we are very happy to be able to discuss this with you today yeah right, um, right. one one other point that you know before we uh, move on it just struck me when you said you know uh, the next generation is definitely more knowledgeable than the previous generation at one level i tend to agree okay uh, definitely but on the other hand i just wonder if their knowledge is real knowledge or whether they are just factoids and information that has been packaged into little little capsules which um, give them some sort of aura of being knowledgeable but without really knowing anything deeply uh, is that a, is that a right reading or you know uh, am i mistaken uh, no i i agree with you completely charity and, and see this is something which we should look at uh, in a more nuanced way what you're saying is 100% right but then i'm sure pretty sure every generation would have said the same thing about the next generation that uh, what yeah. we know is actually deeper knowledge whereas what our children know is uh, not that deep it's shallow and like you said it's factoid and you're right because from our point of view at least uh, because the kind of uh, background that we grew up from and uh, what we learned because we did not have so many distractions hmm. so we were able to take a single subject and whether through parental pressure or the discipline see in those days we had this concept of discipline in school and at home today it's a very tricky subject teachers are told to be cautious of not you know disciplining children too much but yeah we had that thing during our time so we learned we tended to we were either forced or from our own free will we learned something we learned it in depth so and we used to uh, read books for example before uh, digital media came so because you were forced to look into books uh then we had those you know questions and everything we had to buy answer keys so we did not get as much distracted so to some extent yeah. we had a better knowledge 
I mean, at least when we uh, take a single subject, whatever knowledge was available, we went into a depth. We we explored it in detail. And but, like you like you rightly said, today it's you know like a people are asking Google give me this, somebody give me this, and it gives a quick two liner, one liner kind of thing. And right. like you said, it, it's a fa it's factoid. So now see from their point of view, it's information because yeah. uh, a, as a demographic uh, group, if he's able to uh, you know, if somebody is able to uh, exceed others in this competitive world, if you look at it from that point of view, it doesn't matter. But whether if you're looking at it from a say long-term civilizational point of view, I think it's a mm. definite matter of concern. See, I have to point out here about this factoid culture um, that maybe a couple of generations ago, you know, uh, we had access to uh, general knowledge books, say, for example, and a couple of generations ago, they had nothing like that. And so maybe, you know, there was a disruption at that stage also when uh, we suddenly started shooting off facts based on reading. And uh, it's just that today they're not reading as much, but getting their information from uh, digital sources. So the disruption is kind of similar, but of course, I mean, a lot more because, um, I mean, your parents could always control the kind of books you were reading and there were very few and a general knowledge book is really, you know, it can't be compared to today's Instagram. So I guess it's in a way the same pressure. But the way it is, uh, you know, being thrown at kids and the amount of information coming and also the uh, direct access to kids is what is uh, new. Yeah, Correct, see, because, yeah, because, um, see, the GK book is very limited in its ability. You know, I was really thinking of Instagram reels only, okay? Two minute, three mm -hmm. minute stuff about our civilization. I see so many people putting up they think what is supposedly great information about our civilization. So mm -hmm. everything about how we were great, how we were this, and, you know, uh, maybe some temple somewhere having some fantastic uh, feature, scientific feature. But that's about it. You know, it's like just two, three minutes and you feel that, you know, you have grown in knowledge. Will that be enough going forward? You know, that, that's my concern. And it's becoming all pervasive correct as but, with all these gadgets and the information available i think it's just a beginning right and hopefully with the right kind of stimulation your mind will open up to learning more about that so maybe that's the the limited value of uh, what they're seeing what we are all seeing on uh, two to three minute messaging okay. I'll, I'll just add one more point to what rekhaji mentioned about uh, our generation having access to gk books See, the difference between then and now is, uh, see, we were bombarding our parents with facts. Uh, it was not uh, because from the GK books, we used to get facts. But today what's happening is uh, uh, children are being bombarded with opinions, opinions of different people of what they think should be uh, the way or what they feel should be the way of the world and things like that. So I think that is, in a sense, more dangerous. If it's fact, it is fine. If something is... Uh, uh, backed by empirical evidence that is fine but if something is a matter of opinion then it becomes a matter of concern because it depends on what kind of opinion are we talking about yeah it's too subjective when it's opinion it's too subjective and uh, children or even adults i don't think they are able to make that distinction isn't this a general society though because 
when we were young or till about 10 years ago, I think even newspapers had more facts than opinion pieces. But opinion pieces have increased in frequency now. And also every, um, every person, you know, I mean, they mean not, they are certainly not experts. So all these people have access to recording devices. And so you're uh, being exposed to the opinions of people who are themselves not well informed. So um, that makes it more dangerous as uh, Shubhati just pointed out. Yeah, yeah it's a and, very and, complex and, and, world. <laughs> we have to learn to and, navigate and, through it, you know. <laughs> absolutely. And see, Shalini, I'll just add to this point. You see, it's not only the personal opinion of people as news format, that is one level. But the second is how political opinions and you know these kind of views make its way to children's program. I think that is a, a very, very important matter that all parents should focus on. Uh, for example, I'll, I'll just give you one example. One of the one of the one of the programs which my son used to watch a lot. It used to be called Talking uh, Tom and His Friends. And while watching it, I noticed something. I mean, and it it bothered me a lot. So one of the main villains in the series, uh, his name is Mr. CEO. He looked remarkably like Donald Trump. So uh -huh. we're talking about a cartoon meant for children between the age of whatever, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, uh, slightly uh, older group. So And it had a character who looks like Trump, who talks like Trump. And in this uh, series, he's actually a villain. And he's also CEO, by the way. Uh, mm -hmm. He's a billionaire CEO like Trump. And yeah. he's a villain. He's made to behave like a buffoon who does all manner of all kind of evil things, always mm -hmm. doing something negative. And uh, finally, talking Tom and his friends, they are the good guys. They come and vanquish the bad guy. Now, see, I, I, I understand very well that even cartoon makers, they have the right to express their views and disagreement with political figures. That is fine. Everybody has a uh, right to freedom of speech with reasonable restrictions. But using children's programming as a platform for that, for promoting their own biases, that is, I think, a matter of serious concern. And Absolutely. see, young minds are very impressionable because at the age of six, seven, eight, and especially if there's no parental monitoring, because nobody, they're watching Talking Tom and Friends. What what, what can be possibly wrong with a uh, you know, mild and harmless uh, comic cartoon? That's what parents tend to think. But yes. what they're doing is they're trying to influence their perceptions. They're trying to create biases in their minds. Uh, and children, they don't have the understanding of the context. I mean, a child doesn't know what is left-wing or right-wing in the U.S. He doesn't have that mm. uh, basic knowledge. So at the very onset, you're trying to portray, okay, this is bad. So if Trump is there, right-wing is there, whatever, whatever group you put, this is bad, and anybody else apart from that is good. So I think this is something, uh, a matter of concern, and it is the responsibility of parents. If, if the government doesn't do anything, parents should at least take these content creators to task that, okay, guys, what are you doing? This is completely unethical. Uh, so this is one thing which I noticed uh, about See, these kind of programs. All the more uh -huh. strange because we are talking about Indian conditions. And so first of all, this is um, totally irrelevant for an Indian child. And so are you saying that US cartoons are available without any restrictions in India? One and number two, we don't have any uh, compelling programming for Indian children that we have to, you know, depend on cartoons that uh, take political sides in the US. There's something very um, worrying about this whole, you know, cartoon business. Well, actually, if you see the whole cartoon 
channels itself i mean if i talk from the time that uh, uh, the tv revolution st- sort of came into india it was uh, nickelodeon it was uh, cartoon network they were they were full of american programming only but probably at the time this sort of blatant messaging was not there i i think so you know but now this has uh, uh, come into what is ostensibly entertainment you know that that is where it is troubling because at one level i think even we have all also been sub uh, you know subjects of a brainwashed system right we have been subjected to that our uh, education system itself have, has colored our perception of what we see around us and in our case i think it was the uh, the coming of the internet which actually released us from our shackles and allowed us to look uh, around and assess for ourselves and sort of uh, mentally at least cast away all those uh, the kind of distorted uh, views of things that are happening around us that were fed to us you know as we grew up through the medium of uh, newspapers primarily or even our um, school curriculum particularly in, in in the case of textbooks and things like that and also also through the entertainment industry you know uh, i think so many of our perceptions have been uh, colored by what we saw in movies as we were growing up you know uh, which uh, in a way you know if you go to the caricature i think we hear about it a lot nowadays a hindu sadhu will always be a quack you know has to be uh, or the you know the villain has to have some tilak whatever you know and always the others are considered uh, epitomes of uh, generosity and goodness and whatever whatever you know so this uh, in a way the subliminal messaging uh, via entertainment has uh, has also been there during our time but uh, it was more only when we went to the movies you know it is with the coming of the tv into our living rooms and after that the cable and now satellite and whatever it is you know now uh, it is just it's just an explosion of content so it is coming younger and younger and uh, this kind of uh, political or uh, ideological messaging is coming in younger and younger it's it's really tough you know it's really tough yeah there there's much talk about ncert textbooks in the indian context uh but you know the process starts much earlier right actually what's in an ncert textbooks textbook is very easy to catch but um there are certain kinds of books that are chosen for primary and pre primary levels even before there are prescribed textbooks so parents need to watch for those kinds of books also right so the the whole thrust of today's podcast is the subliminal messaging and uh, so that is starting very very early even before the ncert history textbook that you know a lot of parents are aware about these days so in any kind of examples that you can uh, give us uh, shubhadeep ji um, about a- any books that you have noticed um, absolutely absolutely this is a- this is a very very important point that you've raised i mean uh, it, it is really disheartening uh, to see the way uh, 
this influencing of young minds, as you said, it begins way earlier than the 9 to 12. See, generally, like you said, we associate NCERT with 9 through class 12, correct? But actually, this uh, brainwashing, if I may use this term, actually begins much earlier. I, mm -hmm. I'll just give you one example. Uh, so when I opened my uh, son's history book, I was leafing through it last year, last year's history book uh, for Standard 5. Uh, so I, I was shocked that it focused predominantly on foreign rulers and personalities, foreign mostly. Uh, probably 80% of the book was all about uh, people outside of India. Uh, and this is a history book prescribed for Indian students in India. Uh, so there was very little emphasis on India's history, heritage, Hindu values, nothing. So the very first chapter was on Jesus Christ. So imagine my surprise that uh, Jesus is being taught as the very first chapter in a book on history. I mean, see, people, Christians may believe him to be real. That is fine. That is their prerogative. They're believers in that. But for somebody like, say, people like us who come from a different background, probably as a say, computer engineer, from that point of view, if somebody tells me that uh, uh, stories like resurrection, you know, there are to be, or stories of people, uh, dead people coming alive, that these are real historical events. I mean, these are things which are hard to believe. How can they become part of a book on history? Uh, if Jesus is historical, then why not uh, Krishna or Ram, right? At least in that case, young students will learn about right versus wrong, dharma versus adharma, you know, Indian uh, values, Hindu values, they at least learn about that uh, if you teach about those kind of uh, figures. But that is not the case. Again, the next chapter is on Muhammad, Prophet Muhammad. <laughs> so this, okay. Uh, uh, the other uh, figures that they talk about, at least say in an Indian context broadly, are people like Guru Nanak, Mahavir, Buddha. See, these are all fine. I mean, uh, they are great personalities. But the book doesn't touch upon, uh, say, Hindu gurus or rishis, for for example. I mean, it talks about Alexander, Akbar, Joan of Arc. Right. It talks about people like them. But they could have talked about, for example, say, Aryabhata, mathematician, yeah. the great mathematician. Absolutely. They could yeah. have talked about say, Panini, yeah. the, the person who formalized Sanskrit grammar, or Chanakya, the prime minister yeah. who presided over the largest empire India had ever seen. Or even say Shusrut, for example, uh, the person who systematized the system of Ayurveda. They could have picked up any of these people. If you talk no. about say, spiritual yeah. giants, Adi Shankaracharya, Chaitanya, Swami Vivekananda, Siyarabindo, nothing. The book doesn't mm. even feature any of them. The, there are only two... Hindu figures in that entire book and even they were probably added as, as an afterthought. So they had Shivaji and uh, Krishna Devaraya and the entire narrative about them. It's that typical biased narrative that we see today in many of the you know South Asian discourse kind of thing. Like there were mm -hmm. small time kings involved in guerrilla warfare and <laughs> okay. uh, or, or that, <laughs> that kind of attitude. You know? So the entire Hindu revivalist aspect of what they did, what was their achievement in terms of how they fought back a dreaded enemy. That entire thing is totally missing from the way it's portrayed. So now just imagine, I mean, Hindu children read these kind of books. So instead of, you know, nurturing a pride or a sense of pride about our own culture, heritage, these textbooks prioritize stories and achievements of foreign people, foreign rulers, uh, historical figures or religious figures. So what will they think? that India has nothing to offer. Exactly. Right. See, the yeah. names that you gave, they are mostly scientists, discoverers, things like that. Come on. They were people who 
populated this this geography and they gave you your maths your science your grammar How, what is the religious aspect in that i'm not saying that we should not say they are hindu but it is ridiculous that uh, you cannot consider them historical because they you you will be considered to be too hindu isn't it <laughs> It absolutely is, that, that is the point really that terrible. is really terrible it's really terrible yeah, that, that's an absolute pity because we are uh, not teaching children about our uh, great scientists and grammarians and the people who were born in this uh, land and instead running behind uh, foreign figures and remember this is not ncert at all this is happening yeah. for very young children i think this book is uh, uh, if i'm not mistaken it's by oxford oxford publication meant for uh, class standard okay. four or five students but it's a book by oxford publication yeah they i mean oxford com- publications cambridge or pearson or uh, what are the other you know magraw hill all these are the you know are the golden standard when it comes to uh, books for our children pointer for parents right this is another thing to watch out for uh be aware of the publisher of the book that your child is reading or prescribed for school so that that again is something that many of us do not know so it's something new but something to watch out for a data point no we might even consider it good that you know it's an oxford prescribed textbook it's considered a sort of status symbol so one only when we decide that it is no more a status symbol can we start to look at other options or make pressure groups you know pressurize oxford pressurize cambridge pressurize pearson to tailor content for our kids in our ethos not not the foreign one you know we need india centric material really yeah a quick point here there's uh, many schools mushrooming these days in india that uh, prefer the cambridge syllabus they have the o levels up till 10th grade and then they have the as and a levels so for anybody who's opting for any parent opting for the cambridge syllabus uh, this is something that they 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 should know what they are in for and uh, very often i know parents who uh, do opt for this uh, syllabus because um because uh, the indian syllabus is supposed to be very heavy on rote learning and they think that the child is getting a chance to think which may be true in the case of some of the science textbooks that they have but uh, but you don't just get a science textbook you're getting the liberal arts and uh, you know the geography so geography history and parents need to be aware that uh, in fact the opposite has happening with those subjects and the child is actually being taught how to think but um um i mean how to think in all the wrong ways that are so harmful for their growth and for their independence so that's a quick point i just wanted to bring in yeah yeah so uh, just i just want to add one point that uh, i mean uh, just to summarize this point at see what's happening right now is uh, because we are uh, using these kind of books i mean these kind of books are being used to teach children it it, it perpetuates a you know subtle message that yes. uh, uh, values and morals from other cultures are perhaps uh, much more valuable or superior to our own culture that yes. message is actually percolating very deep yes. and, and that i think is the one of the biggest uh, 
concerns because see values are what drives or your aspirations beliefs they i mean if you follow that theory of bhagavad gita anything that once it starts settling down deep within your psyche it starts mm-hmm. influencing every aspect of your life as it uh, bubbles up uh, so so the point that you mentioned that parents need to be vigilant about why, what kind of books are being prescribed at these levels i think that is a very very crucial point and we are okay. talking about it here because eventually this is being uh, set up you know the child is being set up for an identity crisis and that's the reason it's so important to address this at a younger age as we are trying to do now true very true okay uh, i think moving on uh, i think covid recently has been uh, a huge uh, disruptor uh, reset button or whatever you know it's been a very difficult time for uh, everybody and particularly for young kids i think you know and since classes went online uh, parents were forced to give the gadgets uh, uh, to the children at younger and younger ages and uh, once you give that gadget then there's no stopping the kids from using them for other things other than just uh, school so uh, what has been your experience shubhadeep as a parent during this uh, whole pandemic time and what changes have you seen um, in your kid as well as uh, probably uh, in your kid's peer group uh yes yes that that's a very important question actually see in fact what i would say is that covid accelerated a social phenomena which was already in the making for some time uh, the gravitation of children towards phone it was happening but covid basically changed the entire scenario and uh, mobiles or devices tabs or laptops they became an extension of children because of the points that you mentioned that yeah. uh, they had online classes and we can't monitor all the time what children are doing on the yeah. gadgets so they're actually because see children had homework uh, in the evenings now whether they're actually doing their homework or not unless you continuously continuously sit beside them and monitor mm. them uh, yeah. there's no way of knowing what they're doing so uh, yeah. and see this also has some broader social implications like that is my this is again my own personal views like you can call it modernization westernization or whatever see as families are becoming more and more nuclear uh, and also moving towards single child families which is happening a lot at least in my neighborhood I, i see that so children are adopting mobiles as a best friends sort of so not only an, as an extension of them but also as their best friends so compared to children of their age they would rather socialize with the uh, mobile that is my uh, view because uh, i remember an incident sometime back uh, probably a wedding ceremony and that was an eye opening uh, experience for me so a few children were playing running around but others seemed to be in a kind of a mobile trance sitting with their phones all the heads buried and looking at the screens uh, even my son it's was become really a very common uh, common enough uh, uh, sight you know i think most places you will see this uh, right right yeah. everyone just sitting side by side and all heads are bowed down <laughs> we are going to have a lot of uh, neck and you know head related issues you know medical issues going forward because we are all Correct. the time looking down and <laughs> uh, looking at the phones looking at gadgets so it's become a very common sight this absolutely so my son was sitting with his phone and there was a 
girl same age a young girl she was also sitting on her phone and both were not talking to each other they were all engrossed in their own world yeah. and then they started talking and the topic turned out to be something in common to the games they were playing and that's how they bonded so essentially the phone became the kind of a bridge that connected yeah. two different people so so that is that i think has been the impact of covid so it's made phone an indisp- indispensable part of children's uh, lives at, at least that's what i have seen or observe in my uh, neighborhood uh, perhaps you could throw light on what happens in other places no i i hear this a lot i hear um, many parents say that uh, kids are sitting side by side and instead of talking they are actually texting to each other though they are sitting side by side and i also noticed among uh, teenagers you know maybe even 2 3 years back so this was a trend that was going on already but covid has kind of accelerated it just as uh, was pointed out um where uh, teens are actually more comfortable texting than directly making eye contact and talking to each other so that's another uh, uh, side effect of um, you know growing digitization and uh, especially after covid uh, we see that a lot i mean i think this you we can uh, while we are censuring or uh, you know passing uh, judgment maybe but we are also to be blamed i think most of us also are pretty much you know uh, we need our mobile phones quite a lot this this tendency to uh, sort of uh, you know get uh, immersed in that gadget is something that i think in a way is uh, probably irreversible i don't know you know where where unless something precipitous has to happen that will uh, make a clean break with this you know but otherwise the trend seems it, to it, be more and more towards uh, gadgetization of a person's life definitely that's here to stay but uh, yeah. i also noticed something uh, you know slightly different about this covid thing um so you know parents normally don't go and sit in children's classrooms right so we just don't know what's going on in the classroom and we never really uh, bother to find out or you know there are certain things that even the child doesn't report and that is perfectly fine that's you know the school experience that is good but with covid i've also seen that parents got a chance to peek into a child's classroom because they had online classes and uh, learned quite a few things that we otherwise wouldn't know you know um, how subliminal messages messaging is working uh, on the classroom experience of a child you know especially with very young children um, for example i think uh, maybe uh, shubhadeep can uh, uh, you know throw some more light on this but um, i i was also told about this uh, you know small things like the use of uh, before christ uh, for bef- before common era bc bce ad you know this kind of thing you know how how does it um, normalize for the child that the birth date of jesus christ is what everything needs to be measured against when we are talking about time any um, any thoughts on that uh, yes this this is a very very important point that you've made see like you said see there are two aspects to this one is even if we sit in the class often we take these things for granted like okay bc bce ad ce it's a trivial thing so what that is one level and 
second level is suppose for somebody who does understand this uh, they think it's fine i mean okay what's the big deal about this so people don't actually tend to take these things very seriously but they do have a very very deep impact like i, I have actually seen this uh, like see this today we use bce before common era and common era instead of before christ and anno domini so that has become the standard nowadays and there's a reason for that this is not something which happened in india this is something which happened from the west itself so they wanted to make it more neutral more secularized at least in terms of timeline although it's still tied to christ but still in terms of timeline they wanted to make it as as much as derooted from christianity as possible that was their attempt so mm-hmm. now that should also come to india in that case because it is more inclusive and more neutral uh, instead teachers they tend to repeat okay let what happened in 1500 bc the aryans came in 1500 bc and invaded india so they keep on repeating that okay what is the full form of bc before christ what is the full form of ad anno domini is it a latin word so if you keep on repeating the same thing again and again uh, before christ anno domini and so on for years see it's not like it's happening only in one class once it starts from standard 4 it will happen standard 4 5 6 it will keep on happening children are asked to memorize it so this definitely has a very very deep impact because the children are like spon- you know like sponge so they'll keep on absorbing information and message and language has a it, it carries immense power so when they keep on listening to this before christ and after uh, anno domini so it universalizes it reinforces the alleged you know universality of uh, christianity the dominance of christianity it, it it does it happens at a deep level i mean the child will not be able to articulate it but that fact that okay uh, maybe this entire symbolism of christ and everything is very very powerful it settles in his psyche and uh, it, it starts impacting his personality at a much deeper level than what parents can even conceive this is my view once again uh, maybe right. parents will say okay what this is a trivial thing why do you even think about that but i i think it does have a very deep impact yeah a uh, couple of other uh, points very related to this uh, maybe yes maybe some people can think of this as a trivial example there's one more i was told by a parent that their uh, that 8th uh, uh, grade um, social studies classroom uh experience that uh, a child was going through in online classes so they had uh, the the teacher had picked a website i mean i'm not saying it is all intentional but sometimes the teacher also doesn't know and so this is where the parent needs to step in so the the what they showed in the social studies classroom was a map of india that has not been you know uh, approved by uh, india officially so the child gets used to seeing this on a website you know india with its head chopped off literally and um, so these are the kinds of things that we never knew right before um, i mean i've heard from a lot of parents that uh, these are the kinds of things that they started noticing because the classes were online so that's uh, one uh, one um, you know anecdote from india but abroad i know that in the us there uh, are a lot of parents who Uh, started complaining that teachers have started indoctrinating the kids on this work business on the different genders in a very subtle way and the parents were pretty shocked because they got a chance to see it because of covid again and so there was a big outcry and uh, um, you know i mean some of the schools were taken to task and there was a big protest so um, i mean we can move on to the 
work phenomenon i think from here so what have you noticed just before regard- that i think i think one point for the parents is uh, with regard to that the, the faulty map i think mm. uh, parents who care enough uh, should write to school authorities and tell them that this is actually a criminal offense to show a distorted mm-hmm. map of india for indian kids uh, you know and they could be they could actually be penalized it it is a it is a criminal offense to not show the indian map correctly so i think the teacher can be suitably uh, warned you know that showing this a is- distorted map of india is not acceptable in india and it is a criminal offense so that's a point this of uh, point to bargain with the school but parents should have that uh, guts to say no we will not accept this i think it calls for parents to be not just vigilant but also to make known their displeasure i mean it's almost like parents are the customers right i mean if parents don't send their kids to school to this school they can always send them to another school i know it's hard but then at some point the school has to become accountable so that's yeah. another thing that parents can keep in mind yes it's a good point to bring up yes shubhadeep on the wokeism yes yeah so on the wokeism part see at least in my son's school level nothing so far we have not seen anything on that wokeism part but unfortunately it's coming from a different source and once again it's the uh, tv programs uh, mm. for children so it's not only wokeism see i would like to look at this issue at a higher perspective at a, from a uh, i'll take a birds eye view so it's a number of themes and uh, uh, issues which are being normalized and presented to children Uh, through the medium of uh, cartoons animations and uh, programs meant for kids science programs so there are number of specific themes for example i'll just take one uh, let's take uh, tom and jerry for example see all of us have watched tom and jerry at some time uh, when we were kids even now yeah. at, as adults we sometimes watch it because it's funny yes but if yes. you think of it from a child's point of view see they if you remember the scenes where tom is chasing jerry hitting punching carrying a hammer axe frying pan hitting somebody on the head the head becomes yeah. you know swollen and everything so from a child's point of view what he's thinking is okay it's uh, fine violence is perfectly normal because this is a form of uh, uh, normalization of violence uh, so these things have a very deep impact on the psyche of children so like like somebody's getting electrocuted and he suddenly you're seeing that skeleton of that person for a second so we might think it's funny but they do have a lot of impact on children so that is one level second is like you said uh, this uh, wokeism wokeism has become a part of uh, many many cartoons young adult uh, uh, programs non animation animation and programs uh, for example i was seeing the other day there's some uh, cartoon called shira i think that's the name so apparently okay. it shows strong wim- shira like it's the opposite of he man Uh, he man oh. remember was a purely yeah. in today's term it, it was a toxic yeah. masculine kind of thing if you use today's <laughs> yes. terminology so yeah. she oh, is is meant to be the opposite so it shows okay. very strong women characters uh, she girls but you can't say that so she rao something it's called a uh, strong mm-hmm. women and it has women of color it has lgbtq plus characters and it, it oh. even has one non binary character so this is meant for children just just let's keep this in mind and a one okay. non binary character So okay if you go to youtube today it's and this is a cartoon with, this, this is, is a cartoon, cartoon yeah okay this is a cartoon okay. and, and and it's allegedly one of the favorite cartoons of feminists uh, 
right. that's what they say uh, but it's mm-hmm. meant for children let's keep that in mind so if mm. you go to youtube for example which is i think the source for all kind of video content today it's literally yeah. filled with thousands of videos on these kind of topics i mean you just type lgbtq for kids they will have tons of explainer videos or programs like kids meet drag queen i mean come on oh wow what is that <laughs> so there'll be a drag queen sitting and there'll be children aged 6 7 or 8 asking her questions or him questions or mm-hmm. them sorry i don't know proper gender asking them questions about tell me this tell me that and she'll explain that voice and this is that and then there are program on diversity so you know all these things they're being used as tools to i would say simply brainwashing then other themes i'll just give you one couple of more examples like the telling children how to become more independent now see independence mean means different things for different cultures so what they show in independence means a child is growing up leaving their parents behind you know the typical us culture and going out to become uh, earn his own keep or whatever because living with your parents is considered uh, uh, being a a very fancy kind of a guy uh, yeah, mama's boy kind of thing yeah so but but that's not the culture in india but that is shown in all it features as part of most of your uh, different movies or whatever programs that are meant for children so in in other words i mean there's a constant attempt whether it's intentional or not to deroute uh, indian children from the hindu roots so there are examples like these if you just search on on youtube you'll find tons of such videos and very very alarming in my opinion yeah i know what about science content shubhadeep i mean is does uh, does the same kind of uh, western universalism dominate because we ch- generally you know if uh, if we are diverting a child from watching too much uh, cartoon we'll say no 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 switch to discovery channel or Na- national geographic you know you will get better content there uh you if you really want to in, uh, you know continue watching watch these channels what's the what's the content there like yes so to some extent the science content is definitely better than these kind of uh, the other kind of content because if it's based on fact and scientific discoveries and scientific uh, inventions outer space whatever so i i think that's much better but again even these have been used for uh, you know carrying some kind of a underlying message unlike the trump example which i gave it, it's mm-hmm. not so blatant it's it's much more subtle uh, mm-hmm. and I, what i mean by that is uh, like you said very rightly said so they're trying to portray the western point of view as the universal view uh, this is what rajiv malhotra refers to as western universalism that basically the west is the gold standard against which all cultures must uh, you know measure themselves up or emulate them or try to become like them so if it's a program of science then it will talk about aristotle einstein and hundreds of discoveries carried out by the made by the people in the west who discovered this who discovered that and so on so the non west culture but it's india or somebody else so they are portrayed as passive recipients like the west gave knowledge discovered something and india accepted that so india learned indians learned uh, astronomy from the greeks like a typical program on astronomy if you watch for kids they will tell you how uh, uh, greeks discovered astronomy and or invented astronomy and how it went to different parts of the world including india that's what a typical program will uh, show then if you take the indian side for example so ayurved will be presented as some kind of a, a alternative medicine mm. the implication yeah. being that the western medicine is mainstream everything mm. else in the world is alternative then they also uh, 
you know there's different kind of content which uh, through these actually uh, through science program say there'll be a program on food habits so they'll talk mm. about as if eating beef and pork is normal the way they'll talk mm. that it's okay it's very natural to have beef and pork no it's not it's not in an indian context but they will the programs will be like that so meat is an essential part of the diet the you know the host will say in a very serious voice and children should be having these many grams of meat per day or something so there'll be programs like that so these are things i think you know even by using science you're trying to push a very specific kind of a world view on on indians mm-hmm. uh, and that again i think hindu parents need to be very very vigilant about these things that while it's good to get the advantages of science uh, it should not become a carrier of dogma for yeah. towards indians i mean on the ground there is a very uh, robust and vibrant vegan movement uh, in the west really you know they're going the other way completely you know so eschewing everything uh, to do with dairy and dairy products and whatever you know but uh, that is not finding its way into uh, programming on on what is called uh, what what diet is that uh, a very uh, nutritious diet it's not making its way into that is it uh no actually it is and see this is the point okay. i'm trying to make this is it is okay. making its view but uh, see veganism is is projected as something very good yeah okay true it, on the other hand meat eating is also projected as something good because it gives you proteins mm. the only thing which is projected as backward is vegetarianism yeah. and this is very strange <laughs> the difference between yeah. veganism and, and vegetarianism is, is only milk yes but the two extremes are projected as good yeah and the one in the middle is projected as being backward superstition automatically it brings in that thing about caste and everything so yeah. okay. this this entire discourse is uh, uh, i think uh, uh, very very problematic and it's making its way to children program that is the point which mm-hmm. is i think that is more relevant to this discussion uh, i mean if you mm-hmm. search again on youtube there are hundreds of programs meant for kids on caste and untouchability and if you watch these pro- programs you'll be shocked by the kind of content that they have i mean it's totally biased against the hindu way of life i mean you should i i request all parents to watch it uh, these kind of programs when they get time it will be a good uh, it will be an experience for them thank you so much uh, for this i was not even aware that there are programs on caste and untouchability specifically geared for children yeah given this are we doing enough to monitor Uh, you know what content children are consuming this is a, a very very uh, i would say tricky kind of a situation <laughs> it's a dilemma i mean how do you how do you monitor children today are smart so you can put some controls but they would likely uh, you know disable those controls that is uh, one level second level is suppose you say okay you can watch uh, programs from these channels or from Uh, say you say okay you watch national geographic or something but again within national geographic or whatever you choose they will definitely have some kind of content which is you know following that western universalism kind of a uh, view uh, while ostensibly it's very impartial it carries underneath that you know that deep bias towards non western cultures so whichever way you look at that it it becomes a challenge and i think this is a question which uh, we need to deal with we need to grapple with it more to find out a solution which is acceptable and sustainable both it cannot yeah. be a knee jerk reaction okay you stop watching this from today that will not work yeah. it won't work uh, yeah 
yeah, if you ban specific channel, even the so-called good ones are biased to a certain extent. Yeah. So within this framework, we have to find some kind of a solution which is uh, uh, suitable. And I think, see, parents definitely have a role to play. But I think even the government has a role to play. It's, uh, I mean, somebody in the government must realize that these things are happening on the ground and they are impacting the citizens of tomorrow because children will grow up to become India citizen in the next 20 years. They'll become productive citizens. Yeah. So yeah. how you mold them today will impact how they behave 15, 20 years down the line. So government should take mm-hmm. a long-term vision and they should have some programs starting from today itself whose output mm-hmm. we'll probably see in 10 years. Hmm. Yeah, I hope someone's listening. We uh, we can uh, thrash out something, you know, as we sit and discuss as parents. But uh, it's not entirely in our hands also, right? So we need some support to correct the skewed kind of uh, content that our kids are consuming. We should see where this heads. So... Um, what about behavioral changes in children, uh, Shubhati? What kind of changes are you seeing uh, in the children of today as compared to children from earlier times or even yourself or us as a generation different from them? What changes do you see? Some obvious changes I've seen, noticed is, uh, uh, you know, this uh, lack of attention. I mean, this is something which has come out regular, which comes out regularly on uh, uh, on researches that attention span of people are decreasing by a great extent. And it's especially true for children. Because if you see them when they're on mobiles, especially, they'll madly scroll and uh, look at different things, different content, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, and then they'll swipe and move to something next. So that is a very uh, worrying thing that this, uh, you know, this need to sit quietly and focus at least to a reasonable extent. I'm not saying you should become a, you know, like a meditator or something, but at least for a, even if you want to uh, perform well for your school exams, you need to sit and study for two, three hours at a stretch. That mm. discipline is basically going away. Uh, so I, I don't blame the children for that uh, because what's happening is, uh, as we all know, uh, these kind of contents are created by some of the best minds in the industry. So they know exactly how to game the your mind, game, your, uh, uh, game the system, game your mind, how to grab your attention and children are more vulnerable to this. So it has a deep impact on, on their ability to think things critically on how to not be swayed by different kind of opinions. So that ability gets impacted because of this kind of, uh, uh, you know, this kind of a situation. And that is worrisome. And there are a lot of studies about it. People are trying to solve it. Let's see, let's see what happens. I mean, that, that's the best so- we can say at this point. When you say that this content is being prepared by the best minds, I agree too. But uh, what what is their aim in uh, making children so distracted and so, um, I mean, so much with uh, with such short attention spans? What is what is the end game here? At least, what do you think is the end game here? Why do they want to you know bombard the kids like this and make them this way? What's your take on that? See, I think at one level, maybe they're not trying to make kids distracted at one level. So each uh, content creator has his own agenda. That That is for sure. Like somebody wants to show Trump as bad. Somebody wants to push a LGBTQ theme. But the point is given that there are so many different content creators. There's a plethora of them. So the effect is that children get bombarded. That is the consequence of having 
lot of content creators, a lot of people who want to basically brainwash children and make them into their mold. And children become the casualty in that war, war of ideologies. So that is one level. And perhaps at a deeper level, there may be some purpose. I, I don't know. I mean, like, uh, difficult to say. Like, there are groups which have specific... Uh, uh, I know it might sound like a conspiracy theory, but there are groups which uh, uh, tend to have, you know, world domination agenda, and they would like to make children more, uh, you know, uh, control people. And the only way you can control people is through controlling their minds. And as a part of that, they start from very early on. Like we've seen in some books, uh, like uh, Rajiv Marotza's book, AI and the Future of Power, how certain groups want that, certain industrialists, they want to exercise their power and control large group of people and this is the route they take probably this could be one more reason maybe not maybe it's just a conspiracy theory i don't know so probably these things uh, what i can think of some of it may be just economics right people are always in search of the next big hit to give them a profit and uh, you know when you hook kids uh, with uh, content that is kind of iffy racy whatever you'll get more number of uh, kids using this because they know that, uh, you know, many are attracted towards things that are uh, not going to be approved by parents. So <laughs> they're directly targeting the kids to get into habits that are hard to um, get them out of. So and it's it's dominated by economics, I think, by the profit motive. So all these play a role. Um, maybe, you know, it's been a very enlightening session uh, let's also think of some possible solutions for this. You know, I mean, things in one way, if you see things look bleak, but we have to engage with the world today as it is. We cannot wish things away. So having known all this, now that we know a lot of things, um, what are the what is in our control really? What Let's brainstorm and think what we can do about this whole situation. So any thoughts on this? Uh, correct, correct. Uh, so one, uh, so there are two things which I can think about. Given that, see, many parents are today busy. Uh, they may not have uh, time to engage with the children a lot. So one solution could be, you know, like these, a uh, lot of these uh, spiritual giants today, uh, they have their own summer camps for children. So we could think about sending at least the children for some kind of a camp or something, uh, these are generally in the mornings, three to four hour camps where they teach you different kind of values, like what is the importance of seva. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm not talking about the typical Western kind of a camp, but these are these are modeled on that, but made for the Indian audience. So uh, what do you think of seva? Why is it important to respect? So they'll teach you all these kind of things. People working together, uh, uh, doing something for a common cause, common dharmic cause. So there are camps like these which have started coming up. And I think this is a very good way of... Uh, Ensuring that if children at least enter these at an early age, uh, it will have some very it will have some positive impact on them. So that is one. Second is uh, is uh, like uh, see in my in my case, see, I live in a joint family. So because uh, my son is engaging with his interacting with his grandparents, so that has a positive impact because not only is he not using his phone during that time, they will also teach you a lot of things which you would not otherwise know. Like they'll tell you stories maybe from some kind of, a, uh, from Rama and Mahabharat or regional language books, old sayings. See, these are things which are missing uh, for uh, children who live in nuclear family. Many of them don't even know the, uh, you know, the, the pithy sayings, the local sayings, 
which are spoken by the ancestors. So I think that continuity is ensured through these kind of uh, uh, joint family systems. I know it's difficult, but at least if children can get to interact with their grandparents from time to time, maybe on weekends or once in a month if they live nearby, I think even that will have a lot of uh, positive impact. So these are two things. And apart from this, whatever activism we can do on the school front without jeopardizing their, you know, the school uh, career in school. I mean, we should try to engage diplomatically with teachers if possible. It may not always be possible, but at least uh, uh, for the parents' point of view, becoming aware of these issues is the first step. Dealing with it comes later, but at least once you know that all these issues are in uh, in play, uh, then we can think of different ways of engaging with different stakeholders, maybe teachers, maybe the school principal, maybe some local counselor if we know, know somebody, or generally spreading information like, for example, your uh, podcast is a very important media uh, medium for spend, uh, spreading this kind of information. So we should make use of all these different uh, avenues. Perhaps and another idea is to uh, have uh, neighborhood families coming together, maybe, you know, once a month, uh, something like that, and make it a very conscious attempt to uh, get the children to mingle among themselves. Because given that, uh, uh, you know, the joint family system is fast crumbling, I don't think it is there. Uh, so, I mean, at least in the South, it has gone quite nuclear now, you know. So uh, the grandparents are elsewhere, the, uh, the children, grandchildren are elsewhere. So it's not that easy. Maybe it is worthwhile to have a, a meeting every month, get the children to, you know, meet each other. I don't know. We, ha I mean, if we want to counter these things actively, I think uh, we have to also actively do something to, uh, you know, get over this uh, influence of the gadget. Definitely. Uh, activities with grandparents, it could be as simple as growing a plant, right? I mean, gardening or some kind of performing arts, anything. You can do uh, things that the child and the grandparent parent can bond and connect over, right? That's one idea. Uh, as far as parents are concerned, uh, at some point, we will have to learn the importance of coming together as a group, right? Only then you have any bargaining power, even say, uh, if you want to tell the school about a wrong map, it could be as simple as that. Unless you go in a group and have, you know, other uh, parents from your child's class um, going together with you, the school is not likely to listen to you alone. And um, and naturally, even the parent has some kind of a fear, right, that uh, his or her child might be targeted um, if they speak up, isn't it? So the only way out is for uh, groups of parents to come together for the good of the next generation of children. It's the children's well-being that we have to have in mind and uh, try to organize uh, band together and uh, that way more people will uh, uh, whether it's a gadget um, I mean whether it's a software programmer or whether it's a big corporation trying to sell your children things that they shouldn't be buying or whether it's talking to a school or a teacher uh, I think you have power only if you learn to operate as a group and lobby for things that you know are um, you know good for your child so I think as parents, even we have to learn to 
decolonize ourselves and not necessarily think that everything from an oxford press or a cambridge press is the best that you know we can give our child fine not a problem but use your lobbying power to make an oxford press or a cambridge press give you give you an indian perspective rather than their westernized perspective you know that i think that is also very important so it starts with us also we need to decolonize we need to also think that you know everything coming from an oxford press is not necessarily the best uh, that we can give our children so i think there there also there's some work to be done and we need to work on our own courage right we, and the courage of conviction we need to be really convinced and then to take action somewhere so it's bound to pay off so on that positive note i think we can uh, end this podcast yes. right yes so shubhadeep it has been a, a really wonderful time that we have spent discussing these issues with you um, we have i think touched on so many topics and it has been a very enriching conversation uh, sad in many parts worrisome in many parts but also definitely hopeful uh because we are here to actually think how we can best help our children grow up to be good citizens of our country you know so uh on that note thank you very much shubhadeep to our listeners we will be back with you with another podcast soon and uh, thank you namaste namaste thank you